Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and happy new year to you. It's 2021, finally 2020 is over, but keep your seatbelts on until we come to a complete stop because this ride is not over yet. And today, to kick off 2021, I am bringing to you a person that to me exemplifies how I wanna show up in the world in 2021. So his name is Kit Cummings, and I've had the pleasure of knowing Kit, oh, I don't know Kit, maybe about 14, 15 years from when I used to be a realtor way back when, I, I was a realtor back in the 2000s, before the, the crash, and I heard you in uh, one of a, a talk at one of the offices, I used to work for Keller Williams, I was a realtor there, and you spoke at some point, and I was so inspired by what Kit was doing. But here's the thing that really touched me about you and why you are the person that I'm kicking off 2021 with. I, I started a spiritual awakening back in around 2002, 2003. And in 2007, while I was a realtor, I had an encounter with God that absolutely transformed my life. And you and I met at a Starbucks one day and we talked about this a little bit. And when, when I felt the presence of God in my life, and actually I, I was having conversations with Jesus leading to that moment, and my conversations have continued with Jesus since that moment, when I experienced God, I came to know what Jesus said when he said, I and the Father are one. However, my human mind still had a lot of old programming and I had this incredible heart experience. I knew myself as one, not only with God, but with all that is, and realized I'm brother and sister with all of humanity, all of us, everything, not even humanity, the whole planet, every grain of sand, every animal, every blade of grass, every plant, every flower, every breath. I am one with it, and it is one with me. But my mind was still conditioned in the old ways, in the ways of separation, of personal identity, of fear, of uh, money was my master, um, which means I worship the external world. So I experienced in that year, 2007, August 16th, I'll never forget it. I experienced a, a knowingness that my life had been given to God. And that I was only going to follow the teachings of Jesus because for me, it was clear. Jesus taught the way, the life, the truth. But I needed to learn to align with that mm -hmm. and not think I got there. I have all that and then judge the world from my high and mighty spiritual pedestal, which I did for a long time mm -hmm. until God in its magnificent grace gave me a husband that taught me humbleness because he knocked me off my pedestal many times, <laughs> letting me know how not spiritual I was. And um, anyway, so 2021 for me is a year about walking the talk. Okay. I have spent the last 12 years um, since it's well, 13 years since 2007, doing my best to align with God. But you, I have watched you all of these years, you more than anybody that I know, walks the talk more consistently. And you talk about your humanness and you talk about the times that, you know, you just strive to do the best, but you walk the talk and the way you do it by helping those who, who need to be loved, who need to not be judged. Those who like Jesus, he walked among those who were the lowliest 
of lowliest. And I had, I have a son who went through a, a four-year, what I call it, our drug addiction adventure. And you, and you met Spencer. He came to one of your events. Mm -hmm. You were the person that I, when I needed a little bit of pick me up, how to deal with Spencer, I would go watch what's kid doing in the world. I'd pay attention to your videos. I'd pay attention to what you were posting. And I made a decision that if I could get to the place that I, I could walk among this planet, among those who really truly were the outcasts, then I not only was I pleasing God, not that God is ever not pleased with me, but that's when I knew that the awakening that I experienced had taken hold and it became something that I was embodying. So you, my friend, who've been walking your talk all these years have been a beautiful example for me. And I wanted to kick off 2021, which is the year of me walking my talk mm. and not caring what anybody else thinks because I am under no laws but God's. I gave my heart, my mind, my body, my mouth, my ears, my hands to God. And I follow the teachings of Jesus. And you have been one of the most powerful examples for me. So thank you for kicking off 2021 and align with Lina with me as my guest here today. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm humbled. Um, thank you for those kind things. I mean, I'll kind of tell you my my perspective on that. <laughs> but you're too kind. But um, and I, you know, you don't know that people are paying attention a lot of times. And uh, but but it makes me very happy, you know, to know that I, if I was able to help. But just so you know, I, I see you as the you know, line that I'm talking to right now, I didn't even remember that we met in real estate. I just remember that we connected along the way. And you have always struck me as someone that, that, you know, walks your talk. And so just from a casual observer, you know, you're, you're a light. And I think that that's why, you know, we kind of vibrate the same way. So um, anyway, so thanks so much for having me. And, and uh, I'm thrilled to, to be a part of the conversation. Well, thank you to those who have joined us. We got several people with us. Thank you, Olga, for being here. And uh, let, let's just start the conversation where I started with everybody that comes uh, to align with Lina. And that is, when did you begin to realize that there was more to life than what Kit Cummings was uh, conditioned to believe there was? Gosh, there's, there's several different, you know, diverging paths along the way. And <laughs> I'll, I'll try to just kind of hit the high points and then we can go wherever you want to go. But um, the first 25 years of my life, I was the least likely guy to become a preacher. I mean, much less just a follower, you know, of Jesus. And I mean, I shocked the world. That's how much people weren't see, seeing that coming. You know, <laughs> I, I, you know, I always thought I was a pretty good guy. I really did. You know, but my wife and I have this running joke because I'll say, you know, apparently I wasn't really that great a person, you know, because I'm the last one to know, <laughs> you know, what I'm saying, but, but really my life, you know, wonderful family, you know, everybody's got their things and, uh, and what runs through my line is addiction and uh, it didn't miss me. You know, it skips generations sometimes, didn't skip mine. And uh, so that was kind of my life, you know, during those early years was just making terrible choices. I mean, really, I mean, I wasn't a good, 
the, the thing that was kind of confusing about it all was uh, people saw me one way because I was very good at that. You know what I'm saying? I was a good athlete and I had the right girlfriend. I was in the popular crowd at the IT school, Walton High School, which was new. And But I grew up on the south side of Cobb County. And so when I got to this newly established Walton with all these people driving nice cars, nice clothes, I was this kid from South Cobb. And, and so I just kind of figured out how to fit in. But I had I had a couple of different lives. You know, I had, uh, you know, a girlfriend that was very religious. I had all her friends, kind of the religious people Then I had all the jocks because I was in that thing. And so I was all the cool. But then I had this world with my little inner core that nobody knew about. And it was alcohol and drugs and eventually got out of control. I'm crashing cars, you know, arrested a few times, just things. That was my life when I was early. And then my dad died, you know, while I was in college. And that was very hard the way he went out. And so I went dark for a minute. OK, so so that's kind of where the, the question, you know, is I needed a shift and I met somebody and I, I always encourage people pay attention to who's in front of you. You just don't know. I mean, it could. What, what, how, how do we know if it's not the answer to the prayer? You know, the tears, you know, whatever you're going through. And sure enough, this guy just happened to be on the right basketball court at the right time when I was playing. And I was I was desperately hungry but I didn't know what for spiritually. I was just, cause I didn't know who Jesus was. Yeah. Um, and so he studied with me and, and I did what I always do. And I just dove in head first and I, I don't have any other speed and whether I'm going to tear up the world or go try to save it. Uh, that's, just, you know, <laughs> So inside of a year, I'm in, I'm going into the full-time ministry to become a preacher. And uh, you know, I was ordained a few years later and I went off and spent 15 years building churches, you know, and leading some pretty large ones. And so, you know, the, the, what it took a wounded, broken, trying to quit drinking, talented kid and put him in front of the church. And man, I didn't need the drugs and alcohol anymore. And now it was the praise of men, you know, that made yes. me good, man. Whoo. I got hooked on that too. I get hooked on whatever make, makes me feel good, you know? So, so anyway, but there was a lot of success, but there was a lot of praise and attention. And, you know, I, I would try to handle it humbly, but tell you the truth, it, it feeds something inside of you. And uh, and so by the I end of that, yeah, by the end of that 15 years, I was tired. I was out of gas. I was 40. I was about 15 years into a marriage, a couple of beautiful kids, um, marriage on the rocks. Didn't really know it because you're insulated when you're in the ministry. And uh, in a lot of ways. And so I resigned and walked away from it. And uh, and so there's step two to your question. First one was, man, I thought it was crazy world. And all of a sudden I found God, you know, and then all of a sudden at the end of that, now my dream falls apart and I go through a divorce, bankruptcy, rehab after I was a preacher. And a lot of people know me in this town from this town. <laughs> And so now my my fall from grace was live and in living color. I mean, it was I went from, you know, popular preacher to a cautionary tale at 40. And so I was out there beat up and wounded and mad at everybody and mad at God. And I went on my little run, you know, and crashed some more cars and luckily didn't die or go to prison. And and then um, my miracle happened. And four days before the biggest drinking day of the year. On December 27th, I decided that I'd had my fill and I had my last drink. And so I just celebrated 15 years. And in my family, that'd be a big deal, you know. And so that was all of a sudden this new 
life of sobriety, but all it did was take away my best friend that helped me feel okay with all this drama. The drama was still there, you know. Took away the numbing agent. Oh my gosh. And so that was really, really tough. I was remarried in 06. And, um, you know, I'd like saying since then it's been roses, but uh, that ain't true because, you know, now I was a preacher without a pulpit. You know, I mean, I didn't have a congregation anymore. I was, you know, still very disillusioned with the church. And I didn't, I was like, I ain't reading your book anymore. I ain't talking to you anymore. I ain't going to go see your book anymore. And I was hanging out in bad places that we won't talk about. And, uh, and then he just, he brought me back, but he did it in a way that I never would have believed. This is where I want to connect on your question. I hope that wasn't too long of a little introduction. Oh, no, no. But I had been in this religious box for years as an unschooled guy, a pagan guy, you know, that comes in and gets in this box. Now it was a beautiful box, you know what I'm saying? And I preached in that box, you know, and we did a lot of cool things, but at the end of the day, yeah, it was us against the world. It was, you know, we have the truth and we, we are what you need, you know, and it's, so that just kind of sets you up to be the salvation of this lost world. And so I went out and began to experience all the things that I had judged. And I began to study all the things that I had judged without even knowing them. And so I studied, you know, Hinduism and Buddhism and Sikh and, you know, Islam and Holy Pentecostal, you know, I just everything. And I went in ashrams, synagogues and temples and sweat lodge and cathedrals. And I mean, I just went around the world. And, and I just I sat with gurus and shamans and medicine men and monks and rabbis and priests. And I just soaked it up. And, and it was really authentic. I wanted to know. Then I started studying physics and cosmology and quantum mechanics and psychology. And I just I couldn't learn enough. Stop talking about me. That's my story. I know, right? That's what we're doing. But, so, you know, that blew the doors of my mind wide open. It's like, oh my gosh, God is so bigger than where I've had him. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And so after all that, uh, that 10 year ride, I went around and around. I came back and I found some people are afraid to do that because like, uh oh, what if I find out my faith is real? I'm like, don't you think you probably ought to find out? And so, <laughs> But I came more in love with Jesus than I had ever been. Yeah. And then he taught me, you know, the secret and the least of these. And we can go there if you want. But that there were several answers to that question, you know, that you asked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is for most people. It, it, it is many, many, many different um, forks in the road because mm. the road less traveled is the one where we take the fork to go meet the presence of the creative sort. And, and it's a journey inside. It's really what it is. That's a road less traveled. To go inside and meet the creator inside requires a willingness to hear about different perspectives about the creator from those outside. Because when I, when I, my journey, I would say in earnest started in 2002 when my mom passed away. Mm. And um, I grew up Catholic. And not practicing Catholic, we never even had a Bible. I didn't know what that looked like uh, until I ended up being with a involved with a family that was a holy roller family when I was about 14, 15 years old. And they were saying, no, let's, we're going to study the Bible. I was like, what's that? And they opened one up and I thought, oh, I've, I've never seen one. And I was like, oh, my gosh, look at all, all of this, because 
I grew up in the Dominican Republic and when when we went to mass, not only was it in Latin and I didn't understand it, but they never showed you the book. You just follow whatever you were told. But one of the things that, two things that happened to me in my Catholic upbringing, one is I felt a kinship with Jesus. I felt that this, this teaching to love your neighbor as yourself and love God, that to me was it, that, that was it. And then I grew up with this other thing that you can never please God. Um, I was a sinner and I was going to go to hell. And that's just the way everybody is going to go. I don't care what you do. You'll never be as holy as Jesus because Jesus is the only son of God. So I was like, all right, I'm screwed no matter what. I can try really hard to to be saved. Um, But if I'm going to go to hell, why miss out on the fun stuff? Um, so might as well live my life however I wanted to live it. And, you know, I was kind of a good girl, but I still did some, some of the nasty things that would get me to go to hell. When my mom died, because I knew she was not a saint, I had this terror come take over me about where she was going to go. And the fear of her being in hell and then me ending up there on this, you know, perennial rotisserie for the rest of eternity freaked me out and it sent me into this holy terror and a friend who, who i call her my angel friend she gave me a book because i was so afraid of of going to hell a book about a woman who had a near-death experience the title of it is into the light and this woman who happened to be catholic at, on the operating table uh basically for practical purposes had died and met god and god basically let her know that there was no such thing as hell, that God is loving and that we're the ones who have created hell here. So I'm reading that book all excited because it's resonating with me, but I still had too many fears. So I'm like, okay, great. I don't have to worry about death of, um, or, or hell coming forward. That friend gave me another book called Many Masters, Many Lives uh, uh, by Dr. Brian Weiss about past lives. And he has done more than anybody past life regressions. I mean, in the thousands of and thousands. And I realized, wow, life is a circle. So if it doesn't end, why am I then so afraid about uh, the future? And I began to study how did that story get created? And I came across a book by Elaine Pagels, who is a theologian. I can't remember what Ivy League school she taught, but she she wrote several books about the formation of the Catholic Church, the purpose, the control, the fear, you know, the politics of it. And my mind began to like burst open because I began to understand that they couldn't tell us that God is a loving God and we're always forgiven because then they can't, we can't be controlled. And then all of a sudden I wanted to know more about the real God, the real truth. And that's when I started all you know went down the hindu path went down the buddhist path start, even began my study of the quran was very limited to a book about it but it was enough to tell me that the truth is in everything and this god is a loving god and we are the ones really who have lost our connection to the truth because we've been indoctrinated by people who had lost their connection to the truth and the only way for me to return to that connection with God for me came when I started t- uh, studying A Course in Miracles. Mm-hmm. And that's when everything began to click. 
And that's when I began to understand the real love of God, the real oneness with God, and what the real meaning of humbleness, forgiveness, trust, honesty. Oh my God, I thought I was honest until I began to understand the honesty mm-hmm. as the Course in Miracles teaches it. And I realized that my life, I was seeing everything upside down and, and uh, inside out backwards. So it was about correcting all of this misperception and dedicating my life to assisting anybody who wants to listen as the course breaks it down to the voice of God instead of the voice of the human ego, the voice of conditioning that makes us chase for um, our sense of worth outside of ourselves with other people looking up to us and with money. So once I went through bankruptcy after the real estate crash, went through bankruptcy, went through divorce, went through all of those horrendous things. And I realized, oh, I still have my relationship with God. I'm the richest being on the planet. Mm -hmm. And I had my peace and I had this incredible sense of of knowingness of who I am. And then it was all about God use me. Where do you want me to serve? And that's been the journey for the past 13 years. Uh Where can I serve? Yeah, that's powerful. Um, yeah, one one thing that res- resonated with me that you were saying there is, I think I got to the place where I was okay saying, I don't know. I mean, you know what I'm saying? People that are spiritual leaders, whether it be any of those, you know, whatever that is. Um, I think we feel the pressure to those who follow us to be certain, you know, about heaven and about doctrine and about, you know, And there was such a liberation and a power when I said, you know what? I don't know. I know what I believe. I know what I've studied and what I read. And the best I can tell here is what I think. But at the end of the day, I'm not sure. But here's what I knew I could do. I could try to show people what Jesus looks like. Because that was obvious. Okay, if you study the Gospels. Now, a whole lot of the Bible is, you know, Old Testament and New. A lot of Paul's letters um, are, are very difficult. It's it's hard to understand. And there's a lot of people, you know, that, that argue and there's a lot of certainty about what it means, and what it doesn't mean, but everybody thinks they're certain. But one thing that I always, if, if you read the gospels and just watch him, watch what he does, who does he hang with? How does he treat people? What gets him upset? What makes him really happy? What makes him cry? And uh, I just, I, I just broke it down to a real simple faith where I'm going to do my best to try to treat people the way that I see him treat people. And it, it liberated me. I didn't feel the pressure to have to judge you and save you. You know what I'm saying? One, I can't save anybody. And who am I to judge? I'm the guy that, that has made, you know, my life has been a series of terrible decisions that God has used to glorify himself. And, and so now I just talk about all those dumb decisions and some people can relate and go, really, me too? You know, say we're all a mess. But, but, you know, as somebody said, he takes my mess and he makes it into my message. And yeah. so I noticed how much he was hanging with what he called, who he called the least of these. And, you know, he he laid it out. And this is a scripture that that I had preached so many times and I hadn't seen it. And it was basically he said the sheep and the goats. He said, on that great day, whatever that is, there's going to be sheep and there's going to be goats. And of course, everybody wants to be a sheep. And what do I got to do to not be a goat? 
And, you know, you were in that crisis with your mom passing. I was in that crisis with my dad passing. You know, you really think about eternal things. And, and he said, the hungry and the thirsty and the sick and the stranger and the naked and the prisoner. That's those are the least of these who we would put at the bottom of the rung in the human experience. He said, whatever you do for those, you do for me. And mm -hmm. it's kind of like, let me give you an analogy. He said, nope, however you treat them, it's how you treat me. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> so out of kind of an obligation, I was like, dang, I need to start spending some time with some homeless people. I got invited into a prison, changed my life. You know, I, I started working, helping people get free from addiction to thirsty. It's not just throwing a couple bucks at a guy under a bridge. It's like, no, you don't understand. That's Jesus. That's what he said. Whatever you do for that dude on the bridge, you're doing for him. So I started going, dang, I need to look for Jesus and everybody. You know, if he said that's where he's going to be. But I got hooked on it. I told you I get hooked on whatever makes me feel good. And so the least of these, they saved me. I didn't save them. Maybe they don't need saving. I'm not sure. All I know is they became the people that God was going to use to heal this drunken, fallen preacher that had a whole lot of shame for all the people I've let down. And, and it became this beautiful, I call them a misfit band of brothers on the road to redemption together, just being a bunch of convicts. And that took me into over 100 prisons, jails, and detention centers and rehab facilities over the course of about 12 years and working with over 10,000 inmates in some of the craziest prisons, even overseas, Africa, and down into Latin America and out in Eastern Europe. And, and the least of these became my champions and I became theirs, you know, and, and that has made all the difference because like I'm on death row in Alabama. Okay. And there's, it was amazing. I've got to serve several times there and it's 24 guys and they 12 cells on top, 12 on the bottom, a common shower and an area with some tables. Now, every death row I've ever seen is just one in a cell, eight by 10, 24, seven, you know, two hours a day outside in a cage. And these guys, the warden would let them hang out for four to six hours a day. So they became this little, and they weren't trying to hurt each other. They're all going to the same place, which is where they don't want to go. When I mean, meaning they're going to get that call, lay on that table. And so there's a, there was something I just was fascinated and I got to know these guys. But I was still trying to get out of that box because I had been conditioned. And I don't mean toward Jesus. I'm talking about religion. Okay, Religion, yeah. Divide, judge, categorize, right? Who's in, who's out. And I was still trying to break free from that. And there was this dude. And every time I would go there, he was there. And he'd always have his shoes off. And I mean, it'd be cold in the wintertime, cement, cold cement floor, this dank old dingy death row. And this dude, just the greatest servant, always barefoot. So I'm sitting there one day and I'm seeing him and I, I look at my buddy and I go, why is Bob always barefoot? And he said once a month, he drives 14 hours from Oklahoma to see these brothers on the road. And he takes his shoes off because he says it's holy ground. And I'm like, he's going to judge me. Now, he happened to be a Pentecostal guy, and I used to judge them. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, this guy's more like Jesus than I am. I'm going to let God worry about doctrine. I'm just going to try to be like Bob. You see what I'm saying? And so it's totally. changed the way I see things. And so I would tell those beautiful inmates, every time I go to a new prison, I'm like, I thank them. And they say, what do you know you do? And I'm like, 
I know you, you know, and I said, I'm going to make you a promise. I'm not coming here to try to bring God to you. I'm coming here trying to find God in you. And it makes all the difference. <laughs> it does. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. I don't know if I shared with you. I mean, it's been so long ago since we had that conversation at that Starbucks on Johnson Ferry Road. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you reminded me. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. My When Spencer was doing drugs, I, I was listening to the voice of God. You know, Jesus is specifically was the, the consciousness was Jesus talking to me. And, you know, when you open up your mind and you tap into the infinite, I, if Buddha was talking to me or Muhammad, it might have freaked me out. But Jesus was familiar. So that's why it felt to me like it was the loving uh, older brother or older friend that that was talking to me. And everybody around me, uh, around our family, oh, you got to put Spencer in, in uh you know, drug intervention, you've got to do intervention, you got to save his life, you got to save his life, you got to straighten him out. And the message that I was hearing from Jesus was, you will do no such thing. Number one, he doesn't belong to you. Mm. Number two, he's eternal. So don't worry about his death, because it's not going to happen. I was resurrected, so that all re understand what the resurrection is about. You're not a body, he's not a body. Number three, the only intervention you're doing is a soul intervention. That young man needs to remember that what he is made of is God. Mm. So that's your focus, not how it's going to make you look, not what are people going to think, not about you, you, know, you taking him off of drugs because you will do no such thing. You're going to leave him on his drugs until he can replace the need for drugs to numb his pain with the awareness of the source of all joy that is already in him. So you will talk to him like he is the Holy son of God. And I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Why do I get this assignment? You know, I, I'm an East Cobb mom and I care about what everybody else thinks about me. I don't want the police to come in and arrest me because I'm letting my son do drugs. I don't want my son to die of an overdose. And people are going to say, my God, what kind of a mom was she? I'm like, you can't, you can't tell me I got to leave him on drugs and then not worry about him dying. And then what focus on his soul. I didn't even know my freaking soul. Um, so through that journey, as you are saying, these, these prisoners were helping you. Spencer was helping me. God was using Spencer to bring me back to the truth of who I am as I attempted my very best to remind him of the truth of who he is. And I'll tell you, when you were saying that, if there's one thing you know for sure is that you don't know much, I was a know-it-all. I was a righteous know-it-all. And to empty myself of knowing everything is when I began to realize that in me, through that experience with Spencer, is the source of all knowing. And all I needed to do was, I am certain that I have access to all knowing, but I am certain it's not in Linus' head. <laughs> I can tap in. Like I go into the internet and tap in and find all the answers out there in, you know, internet land. When I connect with God, there is a certainty in my heart that is unshakable. I don't waver when I feel the truth of God. And that to me is, is what you embody. 
You do because you exactly as you were saying, it shows up in how we treat others. It shows up in how we show up in the world. That that's it. Yeah. And then you do know everything when that's what you're following. Yeah. I mean, what else is there to know? What else would you want to know? Yeah. <laughs> At least for me, that's the way it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're ministering to me right now. I mean that you to me. Well, shoot. And I do remember when you were going through that um, during that little season, you know, with a little season, that <laughs> it was a big season, wasn't it? But I remember and I, it struck me then. And I'm glad you reminded me because I was like, this woman has great faith because she is really trusting God with this thing. And I have, you know, been caught in some of these storms you know, with kids and it's a, it's a pain and a fear that is unlike anything that you experience. I'm not saying it's, I mean, is it worse? I don't know. Pain is pain and fear is, I mean, terror is, is <laughs> more what it is or dread or like you're yeah. saying, imagining worst case scenarios. And I don't see any faith in that or love in that. And so th that impacted me. And, and it was to tell you the truth, it challenged me. I was like, wow. Could I do that? You know, but I've seen, I mean, look, look at what he's done. And so I just want to thank you for that. Um, it's, you know, I, I, the older I get, it seems like it's becoming simpler instead of more complicated as far yeah. as these spiritual things. And so, um, you know, I, I went away from it for a while. I said, you don't mind. <laughs> I'm not going to be looking at that for a while until, until I, feel it. And he's like, I got you. And then all of a sudden this hunger came back, but it was going through these storms that drew me to him. And so, you know, I'd love to sleep in. It'd be great. He won't let me. I don't need an alarm. He just tapped me, says time to get up. And I have this hunger to go and get into that, that word and, and to, to see him. And it became simpler and simpler. And I thought at the end of the day, Jesus chose these 12. And he said, come follow me. And basically for three years, he showed them how to treat people. Yeah. I mean, he, he showed how to treat a hypocrite, how to treat a prostitute, how to treat a leper, how to treat a zealot, how to treat a tax collector, how to treat the world that is, has made you a curse and love them as they kill you. He showed us everything we need to know about how to handle all the stuff that's going on that we just saw in 2020. Yeah, exactly. right, right. And so it just gets simpler and simpler, but but not easy. It's not easier. It's the older the kids get, the bigger the problems. And man, that that's a challenge. But really, <laughs> the treating them the way that you think he would, you know, based on that ain't easy. You know, no, it's not. You know, and what made it easier, I'm going to say, simpler for me in learning how to treat others the way that um, Jesus treated others. In The Course in Miracles, there's a section called the Manual for Teachers. And, and it gives you the 10 characteristics that if you embody these 10 characteristics, you are what, what the Course calls a teacher of God. Because now you are teaching what, God, what happens when God is your master. Because like in, in the, the Bible, it tells us you, you can only have one master. 
and humanity consistently has been following the the, the money, following um, external self worth is attached to net worth. Mm. And once you your mind is trained into seeking outside of you for wholeness, you can't listen to the voice for God, the Holy Spirit inside of you, which is your reminder of where you are whole so you don't have to seek outside because to seek outside is to deny the wholeness that is already inside so if you don't go out you stay in boom you're done that's what's so simple about this but it's not easy because you got to detach from your self-worth and your net worth and your uh what other people think about you you have to detach from your diploma making you the important person or your title or your you know, kind person of the year or accolades or whatever that might be, your Oscar, your whatever. And you've got to come inside. And one of the hardest things that I've ever, ever done was to acknowledge my wholeness. Because if we don't acknowledge our wholeness, we can't recover our holiness. They're one and the same. Mm. And as long as I kept saying, um, kept validating the search outside, I was invalidating the wholeness inside. And man, oh man, when you start coming inside and accepting your wholeness, and of course, you know, first is the ego that gets trained into that, then people think, oh, who do you think you are, miss? I'm like, no, I really, I am holy. In the beginning, I couldn't do it in a humble way because I was like, oh my God, I'm holy. Wow, this is amazing. So there, there is a pridefulness that came with that until like I said, that other husband knocked me off my my spiritual pedestal where I thought I, I knew it all. <laughs> when I realized I'm judging him for not being spiritual enough. Well, if I'm judging him for not being spiritual enough, I'm not being spirit itself. So that that sent me down this path of really wanting to embody this 10 characteristics. And one of I mean, it starts with trust. You have to trust God. You cannot have any other God's before you. There can be no other idols. Mm. Nothing else can be more valuable than accepting that we are as God created us. And the Course says, we are the light of the world. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn how to find the innocent, holy, whole, beautiful, magnificent part of myself. And man, oh man, oh man, I could only see that when I focused on seeing that in Spencer. Mm -hmm. And you know the trick about all of this? I can't keep it as my truth if I'm not looking for that in everyone that I meet. I have to give it to receive it. And it was like, what a trick you just played on me. Yeah. I find my greatness by seeing it in my son. And then I look at this other person, my husband at the time, who's not so great, and I lost it. Mm. And then I have to plug in with Spencer. And then I look at Ken and I will lose it. And then it became really clear. If you don't see it in others, you can't keep it. And it was like, damn, this is hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's really and, good. And 2020 has been the year of, of observing the, the judgments and, and all of the stuff that's been going on and doing my very best. I've had to forgive myself many, many times because mm. it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. Right. It's so this has been the year of... Uh, major tests. What what has 2020 brought you in terms of awarenesses? Yeah. Well, first of all, early into this thing, I told my wife, I said, this whole thing, wherever we're headed, is going to reveal those who really know him. 
Yeah. You're going to be yeah. able to see it. And again, not in a judgmental way, but observationally just to go, hmm, who, who, who reminds me of Jesus? You know, yeah. we've got 2 billion people using his name. And so it's going to be interesting um, because he, he definitely, there were times when he was indignant, but he was never out of control, you know, and he typically did the opposite of what people thought he was going to do. And so it, it's fascinating to watch how he does it. But um, this year, gosh, the awareness, it, it, it's been a, such a valuable year. And I, I don't know that people, I don't know how many people agree with that or see it, but I look at it as a very challenging, obviously painful, scary. I mean, there was a lot of things, you know, but so valuable because it, it forced me anyway to recreate myself once again, because I had to look at, you know, I'm live audiences. I do prisons and schools and churches and corporate gigs. And, you know, it's always live, whether it be one-on-one -on -one coaching, small groups, big crowds. And I feed off energy and I love doing what I do. And all of a sudden in one day, just like a lot of people, boom, doors closed, virtual, and I, I resisted it. But then that virtual world, I, I became more like a sniper instead of carpet bombs, you know what I'm saying? Where I could, I could choose, man, I want to engage with them. And it was so easy. Hey, let's jump on a zoom. And I started finding myself more effective. I was getting better stuff done and more stuff done than in my car, running around from this school to this jail to, you know, doing what I loved, but really, you know, not making, not being as focused, you know, as I should have been. So 2020 was to get laser beam focused on, you know, what does God have for me next? Because I can do a whole bunch of things pretty well, or I can just think and plant my flag. And, you know, what that became for me was um, these kids, these kids that are lining up to go to prison or they're lining up to go to sleep, you know, and and it became so my prison work is just as valuable. But now it's more of a prevention kind of a thing or, or younger facilities, the schools more than ever. My gosh, right now we need to reach these kids. But then I'd say that the other thing with my uh, with your question is 2020 was the best year um, of my marriage. I mean, it's crazy, but in the and it's been getting better and better for several years. We went through a real rough patch there for a while in my second marriage. And I was like, oh, great. Am I messing up again? And and then it was just this. I don't know. God just touched it and it started getting better and better and better over the last few years. And then 2020 during the quarantine became so intentional. I mean, we had a plan every night. What's tonight? Game night. OK, no, it's out on the deck, you know, special. And I, I'm married to a chef. I mean, she she's I'm so spoiled. But what it did is it just it provided this space where we I mean, we still do it. We're not in quarantine really anymore. But it's just this. I don't know. We found a, a gear we didn't know existed. So God used it in so many different ways. Um, but it, it's been we grow through pain. <laughs> pain is a great teacher. And I tell people, don't waste your pain, man. All this pain in 2020 is so valuable. Don't waste it just by being mad and saying mean things and complaining. You know, I mean, don't waste your pain. So, mm. Oh, I love, love, love every bit of what you said. For me, 2020 has been a year of becoming very intentional mm. because I, I am very clear that my work is to help anyone who is committed to listening to only to the voice for God. 
And the, the Course in Miracles says we only have two voices, Holy Spirit, which is a voice for God or the ego. And that breaks down to love or fear. It breaks down to judgment or joy. It breaks down to tolerance or intolerance. It doesn't matter what words you want to put on God. Um, it, it's, it's, there is what God is, and then there is the absence of it. There is the block to it. So it's really pretty simple. And what I've become very intentional is about anybody who really is committed to listening to only the voice for God. And the course gives me the 10 characteristics. You know, you, you become more joyful than you could possibly ever imagine because the joy comes from inside because you're happier doing God's work. I mean, who else do you want to serve? Um, of course, you got to move through your fears of God before you can feel that. But once you know what God is, and there's a gentleness, there's a defenselessness, there's a tolerance and open-mindedness. So this year was a year to go, wow, I need to step. I, I came out of my religious box. Now this was a year to come out of my spiritual box. I saw how, how easy it is to get prideful about, you know, I'm so spiritual and oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> and inside of the spiritual community, I saw the biggest judgments ever because there was this assumption that everybody who is spiritual is a liberal. And I was like, well, I love Bernie, but then God placed it in my heart to, to follow Trump, to listen to Trump. And when I started posting um, that I was now being called to pay attention to what Trump was doing, and one of the first things I was watching was one of the things that he did with prisoners. I forget what it's called, Act One, um, uh, First Act or something. Do you know what I'm talking about? The yeah, I know um, Tony Loudon is the kind of his prison reform czar. And so, but I don't remember the name of that initiative, but Tony is an amazing guy. And that began to have me go, hmm, what am I not paying attention to here? And uh, the more I began to follow what he was doing, the more I realized we have to do what you were saying. This is about reforming. We, we can't continue to deal with the problems on the surface my son's life would not have changed if I just took the drugs away from him. If I didn't go to the core of his heart and help him tap into his true essence mm. and connect with God, nothing was going to really change fully. And it was at, at, at that time that I realized, even in the world, oh, we've got some wonderful people here. Thank you, Carmen. Thank you, Janice, for your sweet comments. Um, it was at the heart of what I was doing had to be to help people see that they have two voices that they're listening to. Mm. And anybody who is judging does not understand the joy of God because you can't be judging somebody for choosing to support this party or that party. If we're judging them, we're not open-minded, we're not being gentle, we're not being defenseless, we're, we're not trusting that God's talking to them too. Actually, it's really arrogant, mm -hmm. I found, when I think you should be believing what I'm believing because God's using all of us. See, God couldn't have used me as a mother if, it, if I didn't have a son who was a drug addict. So everybody is necessary for the lessons. Mm -hmm. So how can I judge a drug addict as a bad thing, a lowly thing, something we got to get rid of when it was my greatest guru? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's what I needed to begin my process of, of becoming humble and letting go of, of um, my right spiritual righteousness. So as I was moving through this year and realizing, oh my gosh, we get 
put into these boxes just because you're spiritual. So this is the year that I'm not spiritual anymore. I am the presence of God's spirit, but I'm, I cannot fall into the spiritual box. It's too limiting. It was bigger than religion for me, but it's, it's confining because it's defining me. And God tells me I am not defined. I am totally unwritten. It, it, you know, it's infinity. It's infinite possibilities. But the other thing that I realized was this incredible fear around COVID. And the Course in Miracles taught me that I'm not a body. I am free. And Jesus has had to work overtime to remind me that if I believe in God, I cannot at the same time have fear of something external making me sick because Jesus didn't tell the leopard, um, oh, go get tested to make sure you have leprosy or go talk to, you know, go get the, the leprosy vaccine. Jesus said, get up and walk. There was no doubt in Jesus's mind that if you trust the the source inside of you to heal you it, it is so now i also understand that we are healed to the degree of our faith so if your faith is in the pill or the vaccine or the doctor god will meet you through that but you can't go to that and expect it to work with fear in your heart because fear is like a cancellation of faith mm -hmm. um, so anyhow it, it's been a year of really I had to cross a line and be even more determined to be under no laws but God. So, yeah, I love 2020. Yeah, it was. We wouldn't have asked for it, but you know, it, it, people are either coming alive through it, you know, yeah. and learning about themselves, or maybe, you know, postponing that. You know, by the way, they're, you know, responding. I think that probably if I summed up, well. All those prisons and those thousands of brothers in there taught me so many things. But one of the biggest convictions that I live with now and, and have begun to teach a lot is simply to become the other. And I take that from the Apostle Paul because mm -hmm. one things that nobody, he got in trouble all the time with the religious establishment, you know, the Jerusalem church, you know, and but he said, I've become all things to all men in order that I might win some. And to the Jew, I became a Jew. To the Greek, I became a Greek. To the Gentile, I became a Gentile. There weren't any yet, but, if he, but he would have said to the Muslim, I become a Muslim. It's, it's like to, in order to relate. And so I started practicing that in the prisons is I'm going to become the other and try to imagine what it was that led this brother to, to be in front of me right here. And he's wearing those clothes and I'm wearing these. And if you pay attention and earn the right, for them to, to share their sacred story with you, you were you will find yourself in their story or you'll find compassion. You might even find some empathy. And they taught me that. So now in my work, I've got an interesting position. I work great with the right because I was raised on the right. You know, I ran the mean streets of East Cobb, you know what I'm saying, with a bunch of white kids. And so I grew up my school, everybody looked like me, you know, where everybody, I worshiped, everybody looked like me. So, I mean, I grew up, you know, conservative, right. But my work has put me in the middle of the beautiful, you know, liberal left. Cause I've worked with at-risk kids and minorities and third world, you know, developing countries and a lot of work in prison reform. And there you're going to be the minority. And it was so good for me to be the minority. And for years and years of my work. 
So now I've got great relationships with pastors and police chiefs and sheriffs and elected officials, but I've got wonderful relationships with NAACP and Black Lives Matter and Democrats. And, and so I'm in this space in the middle, not because I don't have conviction, it's because I really become the other and try to feel them. And then maybe I earn the right to, to share. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, it's uh, becoming the other has changed me. Oh, that's so beautiful. Absolutely love it. And and if I had to label myself politically, I am so right down the middle because I am more liberal than I'm just not radical one way or the other. I am what I what I found when I started studying our founding documents that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with the same inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And when I was studying A Course in Miracles, God was saying, your eternal life, all right? God endowed me with life. If you knew how free you are, you're so free that you can bind yourself in, in suffering. Oh, I have liberty called free will. And The Course in Miracles says that God gave us one purpose and the purpose is happiness. And I'm going, damn, the Constitution says what The Course in Miracles is saying and Jesus is telling me the same message. If I own my eternalness, then what am I going to be afraid of? If I recognize that I create my reality with the thoughts that I'm thinking, I'm free. That's what free will is all about. I can believe whatever I want and I bring it about. And if my purpose is happiness, I cannot be happy until I am totally free to be my eternal self. Mm -hmm. That means I've got embodied being the presence of God on earth. I've got to be um, like Jesus was, like Gandhi was, like Martin Luther King Jr., um, was like you, Kit Cummings, are. And that is to be in service to anybody who is willing to, to be, be open, be open um, to another person and accept them where they are. Because what, what is it the same? We're two or more together, there is love. And if we can come without any judgment in that moment, we're beholding life in front of us. There is liberty because both of us will have been set free from our judgments, from our, our ideas of one another. And what can make you happier than somebody observing you exactly as God created you? Right. I mean, that's, it's like, okay, then that's what I want. Uh -huh. um, so it, it's amazing. But I, I, want, I don't want to miss the opportunity to talk about your book, your upcoming book. Please tell me about it and show it to us because you were showing me a copy of it earlier. Very excited. Yeah. yeah so what's the um, title? Two weeks from today. It's called The New Convict Code. There we go. There we go. <laughs> uh, bringing peace to the streets from behind the wire. So this is the culmination of, you know, 12 years front row, the U.S. industrial, the prison industrial complex. Yeah. 2.3 million souls locked up in the land of the free. And so it's a broken system built to fail, fueled by poor people. Now, over half of those incarcerated are 25 years old or younger. We wow. have 5% of the world's population. We lock up 25% of the world's incarcerated. A, a third go in, uh, non, two thirds go in nonviolent, one third go in nonviolent, come out, two thirds come out violent because of the, the, the system, and the way it works. $80 billion a year business. Inmates are producing all kind of goods that nobody even knows when they buy at the store and they're not, they're getting paid 10, uh, 10 cents an hour, right? Slavery, 
Absolutely. Yeah, it is totally. And I could go on and on. So the, the system is broken. And now we have a young generation that's lining up to get in. And this this movement, the Power of Peace Project is, is what it's called. It, it really became a prison peace movement. And it was just founded on basically these aren't who you think they are. And they'll help if you ask them to. And so I put together a program that brings prison gangs, rival gangs together so that they can create a peaceful environment and maybe get ready to go home. And then I called them to be the big brothers and fathers and grandfathers to those kids on the street that are beating the doors down to get in. And it turns out that they are not only willing. And so this book is filled with stories that you wouldn't believe. Aryan Brotherhood coming together with black militant Muslims. Crips and Bloods working hand in hand. I mean, just MS-13, they're, they're the worst of the worst gangs. And yet I've got, I mean, they've helped inside to bring about peace. We've seen peace uh, decline dramatically in prisons, like 50%, because you got the right guys together and then gave them a good, big enough why. And they began to to work together and then they get hooked on peace and they began policing themselves. So this book is about all the principles that are working that I'm seeing bringing together the worst rivals. Those can work on the streets. I mean, Republicans and Democrats can't come together. There's got to be humility. But so there's principles and it's built on the seven principles that are the foundation, which is imagine if this was normal in today's world. I will seek first to understand my opponent. I'll find common ground with my adversary. I'll walk a mile in my enemy's shoes before I judge them. I'll practice active listening and pause before responding. I'll practice compassionate communication and use my influence for peace. When I'm wrong, I'll quickly admit it and make amends. And I'll treat my enemy with dignity and respect, especially when we disagree. And so that's the process that we began. These these hardcore gang members, man, began to try to follow the Kings and the Gandhis and the Mandelas and these giants. And they get hooked on it. Something magical happens and hits are called off and wars are averted. And the wardens start to value these, you know, hated, feared, forgotten men <clears throat> and miracles happen. And so this book is really about the solutions I've found. I think it's very timely. I'm releasing it on. Martin Luther King Day, uh, MLK Day, um, which is the 18th, coming up in two weeks from today. And because uh, our movement started on Dr. King's birthday. And so on the 18th, it'll be 10 years to the day when our first inmates signed the very first peace pledge in our very first prison and kicked this thing off. And now we're doing it in schools. So thousands of kids are now following these inmates that have become peacemakers. And so, you know, it's a crazy story. <sighs> oh my gosh. Kit Cummings for president. <laughs> oh my, too many skeletons in my closet. <laughs> but you know what? In the in the age of transparency, which is where I believe we're headed, and that's the only thing that's going to turn things around. We got to get all. We got to seek to understand. Yeah. And if we don't pull those skeletons out of our closets, if I didn't pull my skeletons out and and stop using so much energy to hide them, I could not could not really come to know God because you can't be covering up your, your darkness and also own your light. You can't, you can't, it's not possible, but oh my goodness. Well, how can people find your book? Give me a website that I can send them to and I'll type it up here. Have them go to kitcummings.com. So simple. And it'll be the first thing you see when you pull it up. Um, again, we'll be going live on um, two weeks from today and I will tease this 
it's the first time I've said it, but um, I'm releasing this one in two weeks, but I'm beginning my next one tomorrow. And that's how heavy this is on my heart. But this one is going to be um, on addiction and mental health. And it's going to be my, I mean, the only way I know how to do it is teach from my experience. And so it's my experience um, going down this road of recovery and mental health, you know, because addiction, it wars against the mind. And so I'm trying to remove the stigma around these things, around incarceration, mental health, addiction, the things that people are so afraid to talk about. I'm going to say, hey, there's people that that you don't even realize that are struggling with these things. And um, so anyway. Yeah, it's going to we're going to keep this thing rolling. I'm so grateful that I got to spend this hour with you. Thank you. And I've learned a lot. You dropped some knowledge on me today. Oh, well, you you dropped some beautiful nuggets on me, too. So this is wonderful. So why don't you let, let's close up with you sharing. Um, what suggestion do you have for folks in how they can align with God? Even though I call this align with Lina, it's about aligning with God. It just Lina is the one who's bringing the conversation. How how do you align with God, and how do you suggest others might align also with that beautiful truth that's within us? Um, I was doing all the talking for so many years. I was preaching, and I was teaching, I was training, I was counseling, and I was so wise, and you know, and I wasn't listening, and so. I began to listen. And so I would encourage people in this mad world, create a little bit of space every day to get quiet and listen. And first you'll listen to your thoughts and you'll hear your madness and see the, you know, the monkey mind. And then all of a sudden they'll start being still. And if you start asking the right questions, you know, reveal yourself to me, talk to me, help me see you today. Now reveal yourself just over and over and then create that time. If it's walking in the woods, do that. If it's sitting in front of a candle, do that, whatever it takes for you. But, oh, this source will speak to you. And so that's what I would say is start start listening. You're great at that. Well, after I got knocked upside the head a bunch of times, I I realized it was easier to sit still and listen than, than it was to continue to fight this voice that was trying to tell me how much it loves me. <laughs> Um, trying to tell me how amazing I am, how magnificent and holy I am. And when I finally, finally did exactly what you said, was I able to begin to align with the best part in me? And we all have that. And that's what you do when you come to these jails and you bring in the, the high schools, you're bringing everybody to the awareness that there is something redeemable in them. Uh, we're all we're all the prodigal children, aren't we? Well, I'm going to throw the biggest blessing on you right now for 2021 as much as I can. I wish you the best. Thank you. And um, shoot, I bet you will connect again soon. We will. Thank you so much. And everybody, uh, please go to kitcummings.com. If you are listening to this on a podcast, Kit, K-I-T, Cummings, C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S dot com. Thank you, brother. Love you so much. Love you more. <laughs> I'm so proud of him. Will do. Will do. See ya. Bye-bye.